I do think the recent climate change bill is certainly setting now legal requirements. It's going to electrify your home and in mobility terms, make us look at different options like electric vehicles, hydrogen, etc. Hello there and welcome to the Switched On podcast with Domain Electrical chatting to some of the leaders in the electrical field, finding out how they got there and what they think may be next for the industry. We're also chatting with manufacturers and suppliers around Europe about which products are going to make our lives and our jobs easier this year. Coming up, we'll be hearing from Tom Cullinan from the Brady Corporation. But first, let's talk to the founder and executive chairman of Amarenko, a leading independent solar-powered producer and builder of some of the world's biggest photovoltaic farms in Ireland this year. John Mullins is their executive chairman, and he was the managing director of Board Gash for a long time, especially when they entered the electricity supply market and the big switch campaign was under his watch. He's also held senior roles in the ESB and with ESB International and was also the chairman of the Port of Cork for the last eight years. John, just to kind of start off the story with with the Borgosh era of your life, when the contract to be their CEO was coming to an end, you, you had a choice. The obvious one was to go and get another really nice CEO job and continue living the high life or go out on your own, which is obviously difficult. And you chose the harder path. Why did you do that? Uh, start with the word madness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a story I recount quite a bit. In essence, I suppose when you've been chief executive of a, a large semi-state company at 39 years of age, you retire from that role at 44, you still have, have should have quite a long career ahead of you. It wasn't as if I was going to go to ESB and become their chief executive because there was one there. Um, and the reality is for a similar type of role in the space I was in, I probably would have had to emigrate again because uh, I did emigrate before. Um, so really, I suppose over that period, um, coming to the end of my contract, I looked around and wondered, look, is there a space that that certainly would be of interest and that I could set up a, a company and maybe get some colleagues to, to be convinced to do so? Um, so at that time, fortunately, um, the price of solar panels was coming down significantly and uh, I had 20 years experience of renewables prior to that from different roles I had. So I, I, I took a view that, you know, setting up a company with an international perspective on solar photovoltaics was uh, maybe a good move. Um, you know, all best plans uh, are laid forward, but it doesn't happen as smoothly as people think. I mean, the first couple of years are, 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 are fairly hard. You eat into all of your savings. Uh, you know, you're, you've still got young children, as I had at the time. They're now uh, in late teens, early 20s. But certainly it was a, a demanding period. But no entrepreneur is any different than that experience. When you go out and set up on your own, you know, leave the, the I suppose, the, the comforts of a, of a, of a, a you know, a very difficult job being chief executive of, of Borgash. But, but the, the, you know, you're surrounded by a very large team and 1,200, 1,300 people. When you start out on your own, you know, we ended up cold calling pension brokers to try and get investment in our first asset. I remember ringing 300 separate investment brokers that I'd never met and introducing myself as John Mullins from Borgash, who set up a photovoltaic company. Um, We're building in France. Would you be interested in investing? And that's how the story started. So one deal became second, third deal, fourth deal, fifth deal. Thankfully, we're on deal number 45 or 46 now. 
um, and the company is growing um, significantly internationally. So was it a burning desire inside of you that you wanted to be your own boss or did you have a really cracking idea to do with the solar panels or was it a mix? I think it's the convergence. I think, you know, uh, you're looking out for something. You know that there are, for example, in Ireland, there were problems with planning and wind farms, as you know. I had plenty of experience with that myself. Was there another solution that could actually be complementary to that? Quite clearly, solar was that. But I mean, we started in the south of France, not a bad place to start, you'd say. Uh, we now have 100 people working in a chateau in the south of France, actually near Albi. Um, and, and you know, that, that's, that's really where we really got going. Our momentum started. Um, but, but then, of course, we're now in 14 or 15 countries from Japan to the Caribbean. So, so you know, the company is, uh, is, is much larger and much more diverse in terms of its base. But it didn't start there. It started with the 300 cold calls to try and raise that money for the first asset in Avignon in the south of France. But in terms of the convergence, uh, I suppose I have a, a, a motto you know, life is not a dress rehearsal. Yeah. So, so, and you say it's madness, but the reality is that you go through life wanting to, to, to really uh, do as much as you can. Mm. And quite clearly, you know, I had a history of, of some achievement in the context of, 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 of rising to the top of, of the energy industry in Ireland. Um, but that wasn't good enough, maybe. And that I felt there was much more that we could do. And, and that's exactly what we did. So setting up a, a solar panel power idea in Ireland where it's the grey 300 days of the year <laughs> <laughs> what, what were you thinking <laughs> yeah. or, is, or is that why you went ah oh, here let's do France I uh, know well we started in France right and mm. and of course we were based out of here and I took a view right and again it's like anything it's like betting on a horse in the Grand National if you've got good information right you, you, you look at the the trend in the price of solar panels coming down and you look at where that's going to take the tariff for solar plants in the future. And you say, if this continues, then solar farms will actually compete with wind farms in Ireland. Even though, as you say, the level of uh, power coming from your average wind farm is probably two and a half times that of a solar farm. But the differential was reducing every six months with the reduction in the solar price. So, for example... When we started building a plant in 2014 in the south of France, uh, we were paying 50 cents a watt. Okay. A watt being a bulb, right? 50 cents a watt for a, a module. We're now paying 18 cents a watt for the same module. And on that module, you've got twice as much power. Wow. So, so the whole space has completely changed. And the reality is, is that solar is now going to be undoubtedly the number one new source of electricity worldwide for generations to come. How is it going to do in Ireland? It's doing quite well. Uh, There's plenty of plants being built this year. We have uh, about, I think, 730 megawatts qualified in the auction. So that's a significant amount of construction, significant amount of electrical installation, significant amount of connection to ESB, um, and a significant amount of capital. You're looking at about a half a billion being invested in solar in the next 18 months in Ireland, which is a significant uplift in the economy. Who's putting that kind of money in? Well, we are. Um, um, many others. Um, there are companies like Angie, which was the uh, originally the Gas de France, which was uh, the, the gas company in France, which uh, mm-hmm. is now a major renewables player worldwide. You have other French companies like Neon involved. You've got Highfield Energy. You've got ESB. 
You've got light sources, a whole number of companies that are working both domestically, but you find now there's quite large European players in the space, um, primarily supported by utilities, but also by funds. So, you know, we're supported now by uh, two very large French companies, Credit Agricole, which you'd know from, from Tour de France. They sponsor mm-hmm. one of the teams, uh, very the largest bank in, in France. And, and then also with a, an investment fund of $28.5 billion in size, which is uh, Tikahau Capital out of Paris. So, so from the from from the zero we were in 2013, we've now got to the point whereby essentially our shareholding base is very much now uh, um, a who's who in the in the infrastructure space. Um, tell me, John, you weren't born a CEO. No. Tell me a little bit about your background. How how did you rise up to the ranks? You see, the beauty, the beauty of where I'm sitting at the moment is actually I'm sitting on a street called Anglesey Street, which thankfully my father lobbied to be renamed McSweeney Street. And the council actually is now actually going to call it McSweeney Street within the next year. And we now and our colleagues here in this building now have to change all of our stationery because of my old man. But that's one story. But the second story is that my mother actually grew up on the street. And I, I, I was conceived apparently on the South Terrace, which I can see from the back of the office. So, so, so the reality is it couldn't get better than where I am at the moment. Um, John, when, when I said, where did you come from? That's not the detail I was looking for. Well, it was kind of well, like, you know, after school, maybe. Well, well, well <laughs> Dusty, I've checked out the timings of everything. And, and clearly, that's the way it worked out. You know, my father, you know, was and retired painter and uh, decorator in the in city council, as it happened. And, and my mother was a cleaner. And uh, both of them basically put us all through college. And uh, thankfully, we've no problem doing the shopping for them because we owe them that at least uh, every Saturday. But thankfully, good, they got their jabs last Friday and we don't have to do the shopping anymore. I don't have to trip around with a shopping list and make sure I pass the test every Saturday morning. So so what did you study at college? I studied electrical engineering. Um, so I clearly I had a maths and physics and science bent. Um, mm-hmm. I then went to the ESB for a couple of years and went off and did a master's degree in electrical engineering back at UCC. And I, I suppose um, went back to ESB because I was on the two, two years to go back to college. Um, and um, I, I realized so maybe business was where, where I was at. So I did an MBA in the Smurfit Business School back in 97. So that's how I, I suppose, orientated then to, uh, uh, to, to move into the more business side of, the, you know, of engineering and energy rather than uh, the technical side. Then I moved to London. As I say, I emigrated, uh, went to London, worked with PwC or Coopers and Lybrand and then PwC. And then uh, came back actually in 2000. And I've been here since actually worked with ESB, NTR, Borgash, and now Amarenko. So, so this is the longest job, by the way, I've had in my career. So I've spent eight years in this job. That's because it's your job, isn't it? Well, something like that, yeah. It's different when you're the gaffer, like, you know. It's a bit different, Dusty. It's a bit different, yeah. Um, Okay, so the late 90s, you have your qualification. Yeah. Ten years later, you're CEO of Borgash going through one of their stormiest periods ever. Well, I I suppose that I was actually on holidays in Spain and, and, uh, and I didn't know whether I'd come back and interrupt the holiday to go for the first interview or not, but I decided to do it did the presentation while I was on holidays in Spain, flew back, left the kids and the wife down below, did the interview. I, I went in with an agenda to actually create a couple of things. One was to create a dual fuel supplier because I had worked in the UK and saw what had happened 10 years previous. 
and also actually to move um, into renewables. And therefore, the whole idea of the big switch actually was there at the, the very outset. Um, um, and by the way, we, we stumbled on the term big switch at a meeting, right? Um, and uh, um, the other key thing was to clearly rebrand the company, um, you know, get involved in the Borgash Energy Theatre, which, by the way, was a you know, a very difficult uh, approval to get through, right? But it's one of the best sponsorships in the country. And Centrica, who now own the private company, now own Borgash Energy, actually have continued that particular sponsorship. Um, but in reality, the other thing I said when I went in the door is the most important people in the country are Manon Ahern. And people were saying, why do you say that? I said, well, the reality is that 75% of all bills are paid by women. So if your brand is not appealing to women, then therefore you're irrelevant. And our, our logo at the time was masculine and not feminine. And, and there, these simple things had to change to try and actually entice the retail uh, customer who ultimately was part of the whole Big Switch campaign, you know, to, to, to get involved in, in the process. And of course, then uh, bringing Lucy Kennedy, the girl next door, involved in, in getting involved in the ads. I mean, all of that was, uh, you know, it was a, a massive experience for me getting involved in that marketing end of, of the business, as well as getting involved in running pipelines and running running electricity assets and all of that. But but certainly it was a, a very enjoyable period. It was a risky period, but it was a very successful period. And then we set up the renewables business, the wind business, uh, which we bought from SWS uh, in West Cork. And of course, the, the history now is that that company, that element of the company has been privatised into three different parts. Listen, let me talk about renewable energy because we've got Eamon Ryan is now Minister responsible for that. And of course, he's with the Green Party. Um, Renewable energy is obviously a a passion of yours. Do you think Ireland as a nation are embracing green energy opportunities quick enough? Uh, I I think we had our moments over the last 20 years. I think um, there was a time when when the National Grid put a moratorium on all new renewables, which I think stymied our growth. I think we're we're coming later to to the policy side than a lot of other European countries. And I would have said this to Eamon. I would have said it to other people who are very high up in government. But I do think the recent climate change bill is certainly setting now legal requirements. I think what we're seeing internationally is that the cost of carbon is going up rapidly. About two years ago, it was five euros a ton. On the open market, it's now 50 euros a ton. We have a target in Ireland to make it by law 100 euros a ton. All of that is going to force two things on us. One, it's going to make us use less, which means do things to your home, um, electrify your home. Um, and the second thing is it's going to do is that it's actually going to, in mobility terms, make us look at different options like electric vehicles, hydrogen, etc. But at the back of all of that, you need a renewable infrastructure that it needs to be built up. So when I joined the ESB back in 1989, they were still celebrating the fact that they had built Money Point. Money Point now, as it happens, is coming to the end of its life. And it's ironic that they're now moving to offshore wind and hydrogen to replace Money Point. Now, if, I, if somebody had told me that as a young engineer in 1989, I would have said, you're the person to be locked up rather than me being the person to be locked up. Because it would never have been in anybody's thoughts that you would have seen offshore wind, onshore wind and solar absolutely dominate the future of electricity as we're going to see it in Ireland for the, for the next century or so. Why do you say it's going to dominate? It's going to dominate because the carbon price is going to increase so much. You will see um, an enormous amount of 
companies now like Google, Microsoft, uh, all of the ICT companies are not accepting fossil fuel electricity. They are insisting that they're supplied by renewable electricity. Mm-hmm. In fact, they're going out themselves and buying wind farms and buying solar farms so that they can feed themselves. Uh, we see companies all over Europe signing what we call corporate power purchase agreements with companies like ourselves. And I think, you know, the intermediary is going to be taken out. The utilities will be taken out and you and I will be directly dealing with an Amarenko or dealing with a, a renewable company in the future because um, blockchain will allow it, uh, technology will allow it. Um, it's, a, it's going to be a fascinating space in the future whereby you won't be controlling your own energy consumption. Uh, a computer will be doing so using uh, artificial intelligence. And all of this is only kind of a, a dream at this time, but all of the ingredients essentially uh, for that technology to exist in 2040, 2050 are all here with us today. Do you think then that it's being driven by the market and the consumer more so than it's being driven by the government? I think actually you will see, even in the case of the US, um, US companies were way ahead of Trump in their attitude of climate change. And, and frankly, no matter what Trump did with respect to the Paris Accord, companies in the United States were still actually operating on the basis that sustainability is good in as much as diversity is good. And, and, and they were moving forward regardless of, of who was sitting in the White House. What you'll see now with Biden and with John Kerry, uh, and I had, I had the, the pleasure of meeting John Kerry actually when he was in Cork. He visited the port of Cork, I think, two years ago. Um, you know, this guy is absolutely a believer in climate change and, and, and the necessity thereof. Um, he's the special envoy now for, for Joe Biden. There is no doubt that the United States is going to change tack completely. Um, and I think right across the world, we're going to see a very, very different approach to climate change. And thankfully, the Irish government has put something in place uh, as, as now a leader rather than a laggard in that regard. And that definitely helps when the industry wants to change and the government is putting in the, the mechanisms to allow and to set the standard, uh, as it were. And you say America is going to change. And often they say if America has a, sneezes, Ireland gets a cold. And it will be a positive effect, I would hope, with the changes that are happening in the States. How will it affect the electrical industry in Ireland? Well, I mean, already, as I say, you have American multinationals wanting to only buy renewables so that, it, you know, we don't have enough renewables for the level of demand. So I'll give you an example. Dusty, you're not too far away from many of the largest data centers in Europe. OK, and we have more of them coming on. In fact, actually, it's expected that by 2023, uh, about one gigawatts, that's 1000 megawatts of extra data center electricity will be needed around the Dublin area. That's, they are insisting that they're 100% renewable. They will not accept power from an oil, gas, coal source. Where's that 1,000 megawatts coming from? It's coming from assets that we and others are developing in the country at this juncture. That's not government deciding this, by the way. That's the institutions, that's the corporates actually deciding we want 100% renewable electricity and nothing else will do. Do you think that people who are running facilities at the, at the moment should start insisting with their electricity supplier that it's, it comes from renewable sources? Many of them are doing it already. When I was in Borgash, Diageo were already insisting on 100% green. So, so th- and that's a long time ago. The reality is that there are companies that now believe that ESG, and of course, E is just the environmental side, but the social and governance side as well. ESG has to be at the core of your annual report. Otherwise, pension funds won't buy your stock. And if pension funds don't buy your stock, you don't go forward. You know, so so in reality, 
the pension funds of the world, including the Irish sovereign fund, the Irish pension fund, it will not invest in fossil fuels anymore. Like they would not invest in tobacco companies or gambling companies. And, and they're in, they're in the same place. They're viewed uh, in the same category, um, now. And as a result, they're not allowed to be on the portfolio of the pension funds. The short message is if you're not thinking or involved in green renewable energy, you want to get your skates on. Well, it's a packed market, Dusty. It's difficult enough now. I mean, I would say that the majority of the solar industry is already over even before it started. There you go. That's because you, know. you, you have it all. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, I, I've, I've only a small, we've only a small part of the Irish market. We decided that there was better op- opportunities mm. in other markets, but we, we, we started the market in very much with our colleagues and other companies. Uh, we were the founder, one of the founder members of the Solar Energy Association. But, you know, I remember meeting farmers, like you just said at the outset. The first meeting was I had to sit down with a cup of tea in a barn bracket right, for two hours and say, look, I'd like to take a bit of your land and I'm going to put solar panels on it. I mean, trying to convince a farmer in 2014 that that was the right thing to do was a very interesting conversation. Um, but thankfully, a number of them trusted us and we're now starting to build on their sites and they're going to get the benefit of that. But it's amazing the number of phone calls we now get from farmers saying, I have some land. Would you like to build on it? You have a wonderful way of looking at the future, which is different from a lot of people. And you see opportunities. Uh, you're in your early 50s now. You've got experience that somebody in their mid 70s would probably have. Um, you're like an unstoppable force of nature within the electrical business. Where are you going to be in 10 years time? Hopefully alive. Start with that. <laughs> That's a good start. Hopefully, hopefully uh, busy, still working on, on various projects. Uh, the likelihood of me being where sitting here now is very slim uh, in the sense that I, you know, the, the, the company I'm involved in, clearly the average age is probably 32. I can't see myself, you know, working uh, right out through, you know, because it's going to get younger, not older. Um, and, and the passion they have for working in Amarenko is just fabulous. And, and we're just so culturally diverse now. But for me, you know, I'd probably be playing, hopefully, a small bit more golf if the golf courses aren't closed. Um, um, but, but you know, I mean, I have no doubt that I'll be hopefully cheering one or two other companies in the future, adding value to other companies based on my experience. That's probably what I'm going to do. Or I might go into broadcasting. <laughs> no, don't you dare. It's a crowded <laughs> field. There's no room. <laughs> one last question. Where do you see the industry being in 10 years' time? What do you think will be the one major difference? Uh, I think the major difference is going to be that there'll be a, a, a greater spread of the industry. I think you'll find that going back to 1989, when I started, there was only one power generator on the island, on, on, in the Republic, and that was ESB. I, th- I think if you counted the number of power generators now, it's probably close to 40 to 50. I think what you'll see is renewable companies consolidating and going on the stock market in their own right. Uh, and you'll see a number of Irish entities. Um, there's already one, uh, Greencoat on the stock exchange in Dublin. I think you'll see two or three more Irish renewable companies on the stock exchange in Dublin. And I think that's quite a significant uh, amount. And I think if you look at other industries where we've done very well, we've done very well in aircraft, Ryanair, for example. We've done very well in um, in food, Plan B is in Kerry. And I think there's a real opportunity for Ireland to 
produce a number of publicly listed companies because there are some fantastic pioneers out there that have blazed the trail. I mentioned one, Eddie O'Connor, for example, from Electricity and Mainstream. I work closely with Eddie. I watched what he did. And quite clearly, I wouldn't say I'm emulating him, but, but in many ways, he, 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 yeah, he, 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 he did create a path for other people like myself and others to actually go through. And I do think you'll see uh, a number of listed entities um, uh, in, in Ireland, uh, which are renewable and indigenous, adding to the food companies and adding to Ryanair and a number of other indigenous companies. John Mullins from Amarenko. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Our Switched On podcast today is brought to you by Domain Electrical, the leading independent Irish-owned supplier, importer and distributor of industrial electrical components in the country. You'll find their story at domain.ie or just use the link in the show notes which you'll find on the phone app or website you're using to listen to us right now. Let's move on and have a chat with Tom Cullinan, who is the Territory Sales Manager for the Brady Corporation. The American manufacturer supplies cable and wire identification solutions in 33 countries, serving everyone from panel builders to aerospace companies like SpaceX. Tom, SpaceX, it sounds amazing. <laughs> Tell me more about the company. Right. So, um, yeah, we were founded over 100 years ago, back in 1914 in Milwaukee in the US. And since then, we've kind of grown a bit. <laughs> we now employ over... 5,000 people. Uh, we have manufacturing operations in 33 countries and we have distribution partners uh, across 79. Yeah, we've grown a little bit in, in that time. And what is it that the company actually does? What do you manufacture? So we basically manufacture solutions to identify and protect people, places and products. That's kind of like the overline. We manufacture a lot around cable and wire ID. Uh, we actually started off in the aerospace industry and that was, you know, we started with uh, Project Gemini way back when, now lately with SpaceX. And yeah, we, I think it's 70% of commercial airlines have our wire ID sleeves and other products. So we have the technical expertise behind it, really. And we do that kind of high end on the one end. And then we do everything for every one man band, electrical man on, on the road as well. So if I'm sitting on an airplane uh, and your product is is on that, what is it actually doing? So it's basically a, a, a wire ID. That's that's what it is. It's the purpose of it is to identify it. Um, now, there's obviously different environmental and, and conditional restrictions, um, you know, chemicals, temperature, abrasion. If it's going outdoor, not outside the, the panel, you have to account for weatherability, UV resistance, fade resistance and a whole lot of it. And that's that's basically what it is. It's just how to make finding a cable easier, better and more reliable. And what would you say sets the Brady Corporation aside from everybody else? It is really the material expertise. We do develop durable materials for whatever environment you have. We do the high end as well as the low end. And it's what sets us apart is understanding what the customer needs, what the actual conditions are going to be and sourcing the right material for it. So for the electrical trade, for example, it's very simple. Is the, the cable going to be outdoors or is it going to be inside a panel? Do you need low smoke? Is it going to have halogens? Do you need halogen free? And then how can we make your job easier, faster and, and better? 
How did you fall into all of this, Tom? <laughs> Funny enough, um, I was born in Spain, uh, Irish mother, Spanish dad, um, and I did engineering, industrial engineering specifically. And I very quickly realized I didn't want to end up in, behind a computer. I, I wanted to try sales. And I moved to Ireland as soon as I graduated, just four years ago, really. Um, and yeah, through one thing or another, I ended up working for an automation company in the labeling business. And then I jumped to Brady for the last two years, um, focusing more on the material side of it, more on the consumable side and bringing the latest automation products that we have to the Irish people, really. Now, what of those products that you're bringing this year is the one that's kind of getting you excited? What are you personally most interested in? Well, personally for me, I think the um, A62 Mini Raptor, as we call it, is is the latest one. And it's a nice modular solution. Um, any medium to high volume cabling user, be it a panel builder or so, will be potentially interested in this, even an industrial one. It basically, it's a modular machine that prints and applies a label around the cable in just seven seconds. So it basically uses our, you know, our standard go-to material, which is the 427 self-lamp. And basically what it does is it prints, it's got a printable area and then a clear tail, as we call it, which basically wraps over the printed text and it gives it that extra abrasion and UV resistance. So even if you do have that label outdoors, it's going to do the trick. And what this machine will do is print a label and apply it onto a cable in around seven seconds. So, you know, if you were to do it manually and even if it was a self-lamp, you're definitely even for a professional who does this day in, day out, you're talking at least 14, 15 seconds at best between printing, taking the label, putting it around the cable versus literally loading the job and the serials of the the job onto the printer and then one after another it just bangs them out in, in seven seconds so we had a bigger one than this one it's called the a6500 and this was for higher volume and you know serious serious volume and that can do it in five seconds the beauty of this one that we're launching is that it's smaller and it's modular so it's a bit more portable and it can you know it can sit neater next to someone building a panel and pulling 30 to 60 cables at a time and tell me, of all the uh, electrical distributors that you are dealing with, a uh, domain is just one of them. How, how, what's your opinion of them? In fairness, domain would be our biggest electrical distributor in, in Ireland. They've got three sites um, and, you know, they, they would be our preferred partner when it comes to anything electrical. They do know their stuff, especially when it comes to the technical side. They're, they're well able to understand any of the new products and many of the many new products that we launch in, in a year. Um, they do just embrace it. They take it on. And in fairness, their people know what they're talking about. Um, they're very engaged. They know their customers personally. And, and they've been around for so long that they build those relationships. And for me as a manufacturer, they make my life very easy. They come to me with opportunities or, or a potential opportunity where, you know, if they don't have the machine, we'll demonstrate it with them. We'll specify any of their materials, not that they're not able to. They, they know exactly what they're going to need. But basically, it's 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 easy breezy. And because they have those three sites, the, the reach that they have in Ireland specifically is, is very impressive. So tell me, one of the things that I keep hearing about Domain is that they really know what they're talking about. Uh, like when, when it comes to your products, what kind of questions do you get asked by Domain that makes you kind of think these guys want to know more? 
Oh, it's it, it comes down to when you're talking about a printer or or a new material that you have. It's asking the right questions on my end. It's asking, you know, what's the use of this? How and where does this go? What's better than the other product that we had? You know, where does this fit for a panel builder, an electrical OEM or or a single one man van electrical panel builder or electrical man? Basically, they'll not understand what the technical advantages of Brady's new solution is. They'll embrace it and they're quick to ask questions, which is the, the, the biggest thing. So basically, they give you a grilling. And if you pass, then. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Yeah, especially when I joined, they were really grilling me. <laughs> because of how the Irish market was done, um, we didn't have anyone on the ground before I joined for a few years. So they were really up. It was up to themselves to to figure out how to do it. So when I came, you know, they weren't asking the easy questions. They were asking all the end of the data sheet questions, as I call it, the 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 little footnote questions that that really showed you, okay, these these are not just going to push on a catalog. These these are going to understand what what it is exactly we do and how we're and going I to do it. And I bet you they don't say it to your face, but when they're talking to their customers, they all go, same stuff that goes in SpaceX. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I bet you they say well, it. Well, <laughs> I would be saying it, and I do say it. <laughs> um, it's definitely a selling point, not going to lie. Uh, the other side to that is, you know, if you say that, they're going to think, okay, so they're going to sell me the most expensive material, are they? They're only going to be selling me the most ah. one. Ah, right. Okay. But, and before you jump in and say no, but we're the best priced as well, I'm going to stop you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, the beauty is there's different ranges for everything. And even our most common one, like the one I was jo- just talking about, the wraparound material, yeah. that is used yep. for everything. So from a data center to an electrical one. And then, yeah, every now and then it might end up going to space. Good stuff. Listen, Tom Cullinan from Brady Corporation, been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Dusty. Talk soon. Of course, if you would like to find out more about Tom or John, uh, you can find out more about them by following the links in the show notes, which you'll find in the description of this podcast, which is on your phone right now or whichever device you're listening to us on. Uh, Those show notes include links, contact details and anything else that you might need to get more information. Our podcast today was produced by dustpod.ie for Domain Electrical. Domain have been in business for more than 40 years and that long success has been built not only on embracing innovation, but looking after and listening to their staff, along with excellent relationships, as we hear with their extensive network of customers and partner suppliers. Bottom line is that when you call Domain, you know your sales contact actually knows about the products and can suggest the right solution for any problem you're trying to solve. Their uh, website address, if you want to get in touch with them, Domain. .ie and that of course in the show notes. Join us next time when we'll speak to one of the best known names in the North electrical industry. To get that automatically just click the subscribe button on your player right now. Until then from myself Dusty Rhodes thank you so much for listening and I hope you will join us for our next episode of the Switched On podcast with Domain Electrical. Music.